I'm supposed to be here already. <laughs> Didn't happen that way. Hi, everyone. How are you today? Good. Nice to see you. I'm glad you're here. Hope you had a great Saturday. Yeah. I guess I didn't say that right. So anyway, I hope you did. Hey, I got some things to talk to you about before we look into scripture. We're going to do that in just a minute, but some things uh, that I want you to know. One is Christmas is coming. All right. Well, I like it. I don't, you, you don't have to. Hey, are you guys with me tonight? Okay, good. All right. Just, just check it out. So we got, we got invitations. We got Christmas Eve gatherings on the 23rd and on the 24th, like all day and all night. It's going to be fantastic. We've got a beautiful program ready. Uh, we're going to present to everyone who comes the good news about Jesus and who he is and what he's like and what that means for us, and I think in some really beautiful, practical ways. So uh, I want you to bring your friends and your family. So we got invitations out there. Some of them are the flat variety. You can pick those up. Or some of them are like the 3D variety. This is a Christmas treat box. And uh, I don't know how to put it all together, but if you're smart, you can pick these up and you can put them together. And then those of you who like to bake, fill it up, close the bottom, fill it up with cookies and or tasty treats, you know, whatever that you want to take to your friends and go, here's some tasty treats. Come to church with us. Just like that. It's easy, right? So, and if you're not sure if your treats are good enough, bring some to me. I'll taste test them first. You know, that's fine. So these are all in the lobby. So take advantage of that and uh, invite some people to come and join us for our Christmas celebrations. And then let's see, we got some other great stuff going out in the, out in the lobby. We got that gingerbread house. It is transformed now into a Christmas paper factory. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. So we're, we got some people out there. One of them, uh, one of our members there is a uh, combat veteran and they developed this process of pa- making paper from combat veterans uniforms. And we've got a bunch of it out there. They're actually making more. So if you want to go out there and make some, and uh, if you want to use some to write notes, Christmas cards, whatever you want to do, they're out there in the, in the lobby when we get done in the, in the Christmas paper factory. Never saw that at church before, have you? It's fantastic. So that's cool. A uh, little thing for section two. You guys are section two. I don't know if you knew that or not. Section two is having a hot cocoa and cookie party right up here in the front at the end of the gathering today. Yeah right? Where's, where's our section leaders? Way back in the back. Andy and Arlene Lee are section leaders for section two, and uh, they're hosting you guys. So stick, stick around before you go out and make paper. Stick around and have cocoa. All right? That's pretty cool. All right, let's see. What else do I have for you? I got other stuff. Oh, we've been talking about um, generosity the last couple of weeks. We got one, tonight, we're going to continue on in that thought, but I got to thinking about, it's like some of you just need, some of us just need help with this And we're hosting this thing coming up in January called Financial Peace University. It's all about how do you get to the place where you manage your finances well and how do you manage them in a way that honors God with what you have. And so I would love to have you. If you've never been through that before, go out and you can ask questions. You can sign up if you want. You can get, you know, information about it. But I'd love to have you go through that because it will be so helpful to you. Okay? Any questions? All right, good. Let's pray together, and then we're going to look into Scripture, okay? Lord God, thanks for who you are. We love you. We honor you. It's such a privilege to sing songs of praise to you, Lord. Oh, God, you are just amazing, and we worship you. Together, we just worship you. Lord, thanks for everybody who's in the room here today. I'm grateful for them. I, I pray for every one of us that you would open up our heart to you, and you would show us who you want us to be, how you want us to live, how do we reflect Jesus into this world. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
All right, so we're doing this series these days, right, called Clear. And the whole idea is there are these two prophets separated by about 800 years, and they came to get ready to get the way ready for Jesus. So one was the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. One was the prophet John the Baptist from the New Testament who came right before Jesus. And they both came saying this, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And so what they were saying, and John the Baptist laid this out for us right before Jesus came, what they were saying was, we want you to change the landscape. We want you to change the landscape of your world, like the whole world. And if you go, that's too big, then they're like, well, change the landscape of your world. Raise the valleys in your world. Lower the mountains in your world. Take out the roadblocks that are in the way in your world. And if we all were able to do that, we'd probably change the world. I think that's how that would roll out. And so we're just trying to focus in on this concept that John the Baptist gave us about clearing the way for Jesus. Now, he gave us some ways to do it. He said, here's here's four practices. He goes, practice generosity, practice integrity, practice justice, and practice contentment. And if you'll practice those things, it will help clear the way for Jesus to come in your life and in my life. So he he goes, let's just practice that. And he said, I want you to... I want you to do this, I want you to do all of this by changing your thinking. Now, John just used one word to describe that. He didn't say change your thinking. He just used this one word. It's kind of a religious word, kind of freaks people out, but it's the word repent. And it literally means change your thinking. And I believe, and I believe this more strongly as I go along, even through this series, I believe that we will not clear the way for Jesus until and unless we change our thinking. It just will not happen. And so we come to Jesus and we go, well, I'm just going to add Jesus to all the other stuff that I believe. I'm just going to add Jesus in all, you know, and kind of make it kind of a mix of all this stuff that I believe. It's like, if you don't change your thinking, you will not clear the way for Jesus. That's what John says. He says, I want you to change your thinking so that you can change the landscape in your world. And so that's what we're working on. And generosity, as I've uh, realize this as I've researched through it. It's like generosity is sort of the gateway to those other activities. It's sort of the gateway behavior to the other practices that, that John invites us to do. Because when you, are, when you are practicing generosity, integrity will be less of a problem. When you're practicing generosity, then practicing justice will be less of a problem. When you're practicing generosity, contentment is less of a problem. That's just how it works out. So it's sort of a little gateway for us, and that's why we're focusing so much on the generosity part of what John the Baptist talked about. Now, before we look into a couple stories from Scripture, I I have to say, I have to stop and say, we're talking about generosity, and there's some things that land hard on all of us when we get to a topic like this, but I am just amazed at your generosity. I just have to say that before we go, you know, really any further. We're doing this thing next weekend called Christmas Around Town. We're, there's 12 churches, I think, that are all from around Folsom, and we're all teaming up together to say, let's pool our resources to be able to provide gifts for families who are under-resourced. And let's just make it happen. So our, our assignment from Powerhouse, who's heading this whole thing up, our assignment was to, like, gather toys for, you know, elementary age children or something like that. And so you guys, you took that and you started bringing these toys in and we had them in the lobby. We had them back in the back of the auditorium. We had to move them because we had the women's Christmas celebration come this last week and, you know, all this stuff. So we moved all of them over to the block in the lobby next door. 
And we had so, much, so many toys there. We had meetings scheduled in the lobby in the block this week. We had to cancel the meetings. We had to move them because there's no room left over there because of all the toys you guys brought. So I look at that. It's like you guys just are overwhelmingly generous already. And yeah, and this is what I learned in my own life, there's always room to excel still more. There's always room for that to change and grow in our lives. And that's my, that's my deal. I want to grow in this area. I want to grow up in this area more and more and more. And I want that for all of us as we go along. So with that in mind, I, I want to um, go back to last week for a second to get us ready for this week. Last week, we talked about two diagnostic questions. Like, how do you know if you're generous or not? How do you, how do you know how this is working? You have to diagnose yourself before you'll know. I said, there's two diagnostic questions that will help you figure out this generosity piece in your life. So if you remember, because we run into some roadblocks with them. And so you remember one of the questions we asked last week was, do you have choices? So let me just ask that again. Do you have choices? Yeah. And that means, therefore, you're rich. Okay, now you're, that's, just, that's just a fact. That's just a statement. I have choices, so therefore I am rich. That's how it goes. I've learned also it's possible to be rich and broke. <laughs> really at the same time. And you'll see how that goes as we go along here. But if we have choices... We're rich. Second question is, do I have enough? Do you have enough? Now, that's a, that's a different question. Do I have enough? Do I have enough what? Do I have enough money? Do I have enough stuff? Do I have enough resources? Do I have enough things? Do I have enough? And probably in this room, we would answer that differently. Some of us, some of us would say, hey, I, I've, I've kind of figured this stuff out. I've got enough. And I'm like, if that's where you are, fantastic. And some of you would say, I don't have enough. This is kind of my heart. This is, this is, the, this is where the, the talk sort of pings me. You know, sometimes talks kind of ping your heart. This one gets me. Do I have enough? I know the right answer is, of course I do. The, like, the spiritual answer is, of course I do. But when I really ask myself and to give an honest answer that I don't want to tell you, No. I don't have enough. I want more. And I'm betting that many of us in the room also want more because you don't have enough. Well, if you don't have enough, the Bible says, then you love money. Whoever loves money never has money enough. That's what Ecclesiastes says. So if you love money like me, then, I mean, if you don't have enough, then like me, uh, you love money. That's just, that's not a judgment. That's like, you love money. It's not like that. It's just a diagnosis. You know, if you were to go to the doctor and the doctor said, you have cancer, you wouldn't think the doctor is judging you. The doctor is just saying, you're sick. I'm saying, I I love money. I've got a diagnosis that says I'm I'm sick because there's other ways to live my life that are better. And that's what I want. That's what John the Baptist wants for us. That's what Jesus wants for us. Today, I want to give you two more questions, and they're more practically oriented questions that are going to help us figure out how do we live generously and clear the way for Jesus. All right, so we're going to look in the scriptures today. Two passages in the Bible we want to look at. The first, they're both found in Luke. The first one is found in Luke chapter 16. And so if you have your copy of the scriptures, I encourage you to open it up. Luke chapter 16. And uh, let me read a story for you, and uh, you can follow along or listen to this. Let's just see how this goes. Luke chapter 16, verse 1, tells this story. Jesus told his disciples, 
There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Okay, that is a crazy story. When they were lining up all the stories that were going to be in the Bible, this was supposed to be on the cutting room floor. This was not supposed to make the grade. You got a dishonest manager, and the, and the, and the guy's boss says, good, you know, good job, you're shrewd. Wait, 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 he just cheated his master. It's like, oh, I don't get that story at all. So let's go to the next one. Uh, okay, well, let's just stop for a second. Let's see if we can figure this out together. Let's get the characters down first. There's two characters in the story, right? There's a rich man. In the story, this is a parable, so he represents somebody. In the story, who does the rich man represent? Us? Uh, no. Somebody else? Okay, let me, ha- let me help you here. We're in church. Every other answer is God. So if you just give him like two, you're going to get the right one if you just give me just two. So here, the rich man represents God in the story. There's a rich man and he's got a manager. The rich man is God. Okay. Who's the manager? Oh, do you think? Now you're not sure. Us. You know we fit in there somewhere, right? You know it's going to land on us somewhere, somehow. Us. Let's figure that out. Let's kind of walk through how this story goes. Now, there's a rich man. He's got a manager. The manager, his, his title in Greek is Oikonomos. It's the word from which we get our word economy. Economy means law of the house. The manager was the law of the house. So here's the rich man. He's got all this stuff, big house, big, you know, lots of things and stuff. And he's got this manager who oversees it for him. He's a steward of those things. And his job title is manager of the house, law of the house. What the manager says goes. So when he goes to the master, he knows he's going to lose his job because there's an accusation against him that he's been cheating the master. Look at that. He has. It's in the story. The master finds out he's going to fire him, but there's a little bit of a lag time in there. And the master, the manager of the house, the law of the house, goes to the, goes to the debtors, the people that owe the master money. He goes, hey, what do, you, what do you owe? He goes, 900. He goes, make it 450. Well, you dirty cheater. He goes to the next guy. How much do you owe? I owe owe a thousand. We'll make it eight hundred. Well, he got four fifty. It's not about him. It's about me. I mean, that's kind of how that thing all rolls out. And then when the master hears about this, he knows it, but he can't change it because the guy had law of the house powers. 
And when he finds out, he says to the manager, he says, you're one shrewd dude. You can't work for me anymore. For you're one, you're shrewd. And Jesus adds a comment. He says, the people of this world are more shrewd in regard to money than are the people of light. Who's the people of light? That's us. We're the children of the light. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he said, look at the people in the world, the cheaters out there. Not that everyone in the world is cheaters, but the people of the world are more shrewd with money than we are. Jesus says, shouldn't be like that. He goes, I've got, I've got things I want you to do with my money. See, first question you have to ask when you come to the practical side of generosity is, whose money do I manage? The rich man represents God. The manager represents us. One of the ways you have to change your thinking, we have to change our thinking when it comes to preparing the way for Christ, clearing the way for Christ. We have to change our thinking as to whose money we own, whose stuff we own. Because if I were to ask you before giving you all this setup, it's like, you know, whose stuff is in your bank account? Whose money is in your bank account? You'd probably say, mine. That's why it's in my account with my name on it. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But, but Jesus says, you, you, you're the manager of the house, but it's God's house. And you're the manager of the account, but it's God's account. That's how he sets it up. You ha- if you're ever going to become generous, figure out whose money do you manage. Listen to how the story goes on. Again, verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And of course, when we get to the end of that story, we go, yes, we can. Yes, I can. Maybe they all can't, but I can. I have superpowers. I I can certainly serve God and serve money. Well, speaking for myself now, I can't. I'm a bad multitasker. And as much as I would like to tell myself that I could serve God and money, I can't. In fact, neither can you. When Jesus lays this out, he doesn't say it's not desirable for you to serve God and money. He doesn't lay it out and say it's not ethical for you to serve God and money. He doesn't lay it out and say it's not likely that you could serve God and money. He says it can't be done. The word that he uses is a word for power. He says you do not have the power. You don't have the capacity to serve both God and money. So you can serve money, but you can't serve God then. And in my heart, that's where it starts pinging me again. It's like, no, 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 but I want to. Of course I want to serve God. Mm, But I also want to serve money. Yeah, figure out 
whose resources do you manage? The way Jesus sets up this story, there is a rich man, his name is God. There is a manager of the house, his name is me. His name is you. You're a manager of God's resources. Verse 14, well, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, well, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people highly value is detestable in God's sight. What? What people highly value is detestable in God's sight. I'm like, how can that be? Well, the Pharisees, uh, who, by the way, loved money, that's not recorded in any other place in Scripture, but right here it says the Pharisees, who were always at odds with Jesus, one of the reasons they were at odds with him was because they loved money. And they didn't realize. Remember last week we talked about roadblocks, and we said one of the roadblocks is we are rich, but we don't know it. And the other one was we love money, and we don't know it. And here the Pharisees, they love money, and they didn't know that it was getting in the way of their relationship with God. They love money and they didn't get what was going on because of that. So they were sneering at Jesus. I love it. They use a Greek word that if you, if you shorten it down, it, it, it lands on a word that my brother likes to use for people that he's not fond of. Calls them mooks. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a flattering term. But that's what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus. You mook. Of course we can love God and we can love money. God's the one who made us rich. Of course, you, you mook. And they're sneering at him because they thought, oh, it's, I, I love God and I love money. It's okay. Jesus said you can't do both. You are not capable of doing both. And what is highly valued among human beings is detestable in the sight of God. I got to figure out if I believe that. And I know you're saying, Brad, you're the pastor. It's in the Bible. You have to believe it. I know it. And you're a Christ follower, so so do you. And then we go, yeah, let's just agree together. That's hard. But clearly the story sets up this. God is the owner and I am the manager of the house. Whatever resources are in my lap, whatever resources are in my accounts, whatever resources are in my home, including my home, they belong to God and I'm the manager. First question, figure out Whose resources do I manage? And if you find out that you manage God's resources, not your own, then ask the second question, which is, how can I manage God's stuff more generously? Right? Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. How do you do that? Practice generosity. Well, if I'm managing God's stuff, how do I manage his stuff more generously? Turn over a few pages to the right to Luke chapter 21. Let's see another story. Luke 21, starting at verse 1, here's a little story. This happens during the last week of Jesus' life. It's a busy week. Jesus is in all kinds of conversations, crucial conversations that are not always going all that well uh, in the sense that there's a lot of conflict going on in these conversations. And Jesus, I don't know if he gets tired or whatever, but I think, I pick, I think he sits down on a bench in the temple area, and this happens. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. 
Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Here's Jesus. He sits down with his disciples in the temple area, somewhere next to the offering boxes. So we, when we give an offering, which we're going to do here, by the way, uh, just to, you know, tell you what's coming so you're not too nervous about it, so you get some preparation in your mind. So when we do an offering, we pass baskets down the row, you know, and there's a song playing, and it's worshipful, and we give our offering, and we put it in the basket, and some of us do it online. That's another way to do it, too. Well, in, in their generation, they didn't have online. They didn't have baskets to use, apparently. They didn't have, like, a congregation mode in the temple. So they had boxes, big metal boxes, probably bronze boxes is what they were. And people would come by and they would give their offering. Whenever they were in the temple to do their worship, they would actually put money in the offering. They didn't have dollar bills. They didn't have plastic to use. So they put coins in. And if you were rich, you put lots of coins in. So you got these metal coins going into this metal box. How much noise would that make? A lot if you had a lot of coin. Right, so, so they're watching, and here's the rich people. They're putting all their coins in the box, and it's loud, and everyone's like, yeah. And when you see these rich people putting their money in, you're like, that's going to make a difference, man. We're going to be able to remodel the temple. We're going to be able to paint the walls. We're going to be able to afford more cattle for sacrifice, whatever the thing. It's like, this is going to be fantastic. They're making a huge difference. And Jesus is just sitting there watching. He's a little bit ho-hum about the whole thing until this widow comes forward. And she has two tiny copper coins. They're more like flakes. They were known as a leptos. Scholars have researched this out. This out. They found out that one leptos is worth about one 128th of a day's wages. She had two. She dropped them both in the box. Made no noise. It made no difference. It was insignificant. Two pennies. When she dropped those two coins in, Jesus jumped off off his bench. He got all lit up. He says to his disciples, look at that, look at that. That was amazing. They're like, what? He said, that widow. They said, what widow? We didn't notice anything. Jesus said, you saw all those rich people putting their offering in the box? Yeah, that was amazing. He said, this poor widow who put in two pennies put in more than all those rich people put in because they gave their offering out of their wealth. And she gave her offering out of her poverty. The word for that is lack. They gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her lack. If you were with us last week, we talked about this rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He said, he said what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know, keep these commandments. He goes, I've, I've kept all those. Jesus said, one thing you lack. One thing, he's talking to a rich man. He says, one thing you lack. It's possible to be rich and broke at the same time. It's possible to be rich and to have lack at the same time. How does that happen? It's because we don't know whose resources we manage. And when we figure out that we manage God's resources, we have to learn 
how to manage those resources generously. He said, here's this woman. She put in two tiny copper coins, and she put them in out of her lack, and she put in more than everybody else combined. I would like to give like that. I would like to be generous like that. Did you see the news this week? Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla, had a baby girl. They named her Max, which is probably going to be confusing, but that's their problem. So anyway, they had this baby girl, right? That's pretty cool. Mark Zuckerberg, in case you don't know, he is the founder and CEO of Facebook. This poor little girl is going to live her life on Facebook. Oh, wait, your children do anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. So, uh, so they have this little baby, right? And as a gift to their newborn baby, Mark Zuckerberg writes a letter, publishes it to the whole world, and he says this, uh, Dear daughter, dear Max, in light of your coming into the world, we want to make the world a better place. And so your mom and I have decided that over the course of our life, we are going to give 99% of our Facebook stock away. Now stop for a second. He owns a lot of stock. And it's worth a lot of money. In fact, in fact his net worth just in Facebook stock, right now they, they say it's worth $45 billion. We could do pretty well on $45 billion, all of us together. We'd, we'd, we'd scrape by. Be all right. $45 billion, and he and his wife are going to give away 99% of it, 99%. And Bill Gates came out and said, that's fantastic, that's going to change the world. And Warren Buffett came out and he said, that's fantastic, that's going to change the world. And I am right in the middle of their statement. I totally agree, that is going to change the world. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And when I say the next thing, don't go back, don't, don't miss what I just said. That is absolutely amazing. I applaud them. But you know how much is left over when you give away 99% of, 400, of, of 45 billion? I had Siri do the math. No, I'm not kidding, because I kept doing it. I'm like, that can't be right. That can't be right. When they end up with their 1% of all their... 45 billion, they're, gonna, they're just going to have to slug it out on $450 million. We could do okay just with that. We'd be, like, we'd be all right. Now, I totally honor what they did, what they're doing, what they're doing. I think, I think it's beautiful. But it would be impossible for, they, for them to give like this woman gave. Because they gave out of their wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're rich, that's all you can give from. But they'll never be able to give like this woman because she gave out of her lack. That's a calling from God to us. We're rich. We have choices. What's our giving like? What's our generosity like? You know, it's interesting, 
studies have shown that Americans, it's an American study, so studies have shown that Americans, as their income increases, the percentage of their income that they give declines. In other words, the more money we, we earn, the less we give by way of percentage. Now, maybe the amount we give goes up to somewhat, but we tend to stop giving as much as a percentage as we used to give. That's just how it rolls in our culture. And so here you have the Zuckerbergs going, we're going to give 99% of what we have. I go, that's a great model. Way to go. But what about us? I thought maybe it'd be helpful if I just tell you a little bit of my journey on this thing, since I've been telling you that I love money and I'm trying to get over it and how this all works. Donna's and my income fall somewhere between the Zuckerbergs and the widow. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure, unless Bill Gates sneaked in, I'm pretty sure that all of your incomes land somewhere between the Zuckerbergs and the widow. Now, what do we do with that? When Donna and I were in high school, our pastor was teaching on this kind of topic in the church. And he said to all of the congregation, he goes, you should tithe. You should give 10% of your income to the church. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm growing on this hot streak with Christ. I'm just figuring out what it means to follow him. I'm like, is that what you do? Is that how it works? So Donna and I both, and we were in high school, we both worked at Del Taco together. We had mostly the same shifts together. I know it's a crazy story, but that's how it was. And she worked in the taco bar, and I worked on the grill making burgers. And we were both making about $2 an hour. We were rich. It's like, whoa, man, two bucks an hour. Are you kidding? It's like, this is fantastic. And so then my pastor goes, you should be giving 10% of that to the church. That's what tithing is. That's this biblical concept of, of tithing. And I'm like, all right. I'll, I'll do it. And, so my, and Donna did the same. And so we came up with this generosity plan when we were in high school. We're going to give 10% of what we have to the church, 20 cents an hour. That's what we're doing. It's, you know what? In one way, it's like two copper coins in a box. It's insignificant. And yet I gave that out of my wealth. It wasn't out of my lack. It was out of my wealth. You know what I found out? Because we kept doing that all the way through our lives. We still do that today. It's a lot easier to do that when you started when you were making two bucks an hour. If you're making, if you're making somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 a year, it's a lot harder to jump in and start. I get that. But that's where Donna and I started. And we kept, we kept doing that. When, when we started Lakeside Church, we were giving a tithe to the church. Nobody else was in those days. And in fact, there were, there were a couple of weekends in the early days of Lakeside where the only offering in the offering basket that week was from Donna and me, which was odd. You know, if I would have put more in, I could have got more out. <laughs> but we tithed. That's just, it's like, well, that's what we do. And that built a generosity into our lives in regard to church. We did that for some decades. We've been married for 36 years, so we've done that for some decades. And then, some time ago, we got to feel like, you know, our income has gone up and our percentage hasn't gone up at all that we give. 
why don't we let our percentage rise some? Now, that's, that's beyond what, anything that God says, hey, you should do this or you sh- thou shalt do this. You know, it's just beyond that. It's just like I want to grow in generosity. So when we started the Next Gen initiatives a couple years ago, we said, hey, let's, let's change the world by giving some resources. We stepped forward and we said, we're doing that. And we increased our percentage giving. So now, now a much larger portion of our income goes to Lakeside into the next 10 initiatives. And I don't tell you that to go, you know, look at us. I'm not going to tell you how much it is. I just tell you that's my journey. That's my that's our process for trying to say, God, how do you make our hearts more generous? Because I happen to be a lover of money, like the Pharisees. And I've learned that the only way to break the grip of greed in my life is through generosity. I went back through and I looked. I, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm interested in words, and so I wanted to know what the antonym of greed was. You know, loving money and greed are the same, right? So it's like, well, what's the antonym for that? You know, what, antonyms, some of you are English teachers, right? I think antonyms are words that are the opposite. So, well, like, what's the antonym of greed? And I, and I found out the dictionary says the antonym of greed is moderation. Greed, moderation. I wasn't buying that, but that, that's in, it's in the dictionary. It's in the book. So, okay. Then I realized I don't really care what the antonym was. I want to know what the antidote is. The antidote is way more important than the antonym. And the only antidote there is for greed, for the love of money, is the practice of generosity. Generosity unlocks the grip of greed in my life. So Don and I practiced that on an institutional level with the church. We practiced that. Well, then we, a while ago we were like, we want to be more generous. What else can we do? So we've got a budget, and we don't follow it great. We're not great. Donna will tell you she likes to follow it more than I do. But, I, you know, people would ask us for resources sometimes, like, hey, we're going to go on a mission. Can you help us? We're going to do this great project. Would you help us? We're going to run a marathon for, to, you know, for water. Would you help us? Uh, oh, wait, that was me. But, you know, people will have all these things that they want, right? And like, well, I want to write them a check. She'd go, we don't have it in the budget. Well, then let's write it in the budget. So we, we sat down. We wrote into our budget a, a new line item. It's beautiful. It's called generosity. So when people let me know, hey, we're going to do this mission. We're going to do this project. We're going to do some wonderful thing. We go, I go, Donna, do we have money in the, in the budget? She goes, it's right there. It's in the generosity line. It's right there. And we did all those things because we said, we know whose money we manage. We want to do it more generously. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then... The glory of the Lord will be revealed. But it begins with a change of thinking. Jesus, I pray for us today. I love you. I know so many in the room here love you. We want to serve you faithfully. Lord, would you lead us in this path? We are fairly helpless without you. 
in regard to this. Because for many of us, the love of money grips us. So we give you an invitation. Change us. Change our thinking. And change the world through us. Change the landscape. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.